0: Today we're starting this new series called Unplanned. And we've called it Unplanned because we're all going to face those moments that happened to us that were unplanned. They were not on our calendar. They weren't on our radar. We didn't expect them. And often those unplanned moments aren't good. They're scary. They're frightening. A worldwide pandemic was an unplanned event as far as I was concerned. No one asked me about that. It just happened Maybe for you, an unplanned event is the loss of a job, or maybe the death of a loved one. Maybe for you, the unplanned event is the fact that you are struggling financially because of the economy and all the restrictions during the COVID-19 lockdowns. I don't know what unplanned events happen to you, but I know this in my life, and maybe you can relate. Unplanned events can often leave me fearful, and disoriented, not knowing what to do. And it's in those moments that I need to be reminded that when things happen to me that were unplanned and took me by surprise, they don't take God by surprise. And even in the unplanned moments of my life, God still has a plan for my life. God is still sovereign. He is still in control and I can trust him that he is with me and he's for me. So this month, we're gonna talk about some of the ways that God is with us and for us and has a plan for us even when life takes an unexpected turn. Today, I wanna talk about those unplanned events that we call tragedies. Tragedies can take many forms. They're those unexpected, horrific events that happen. Maybe a tragedy is... A hurricane, or a fire, or a flood, or a tornado, or a tsunami. Hur- hurricanes and all of those things take the form of natural disasters. Those are tragedies in people's lives. At other times, tragedies aren't because of natural disasters. They're because of human depravity, war, and terrorism, and racism, and acts of violence, and child abuse, or other forms of crime are examples of tragedies that happen to people as a result of human depravity. But you know, tragedies can hit close to home in a personal way. A tragedy can be when that young woman is told by her physician, you'll never be able to have a child. Or a tragedy can be whenever that man is approaching his retirement and he's got all of his retirement activities planned that he's diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and given only a few months to live. Or a tragedy can be when a mom and a dad get the call late one night that their teenage son has been killed in an automobile accident. And those three examples are not just something I pull out of the air. I know those people. I know them. I was there whenever they were facing those tragedies in their lives. And tragedies can leave you feeling absolutely devastated. And they can leave you feeling helpless and hopeless. But here's something I know about tragedy. Tragedies get people talking. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever people read about a tragedy or they hear about a tragedy in the news, it gets people talking. We, we get on the phone or we sit around the television or we listen to uh, the news program on the radio or we scroll Twitter or we make comments on Facebook or we gather with a couple of people over at Starbucks and we, we talk about the tragedy that we're reading about or that we've heard about. That tragedy that hasn't happened to us, but it's happened to those other people. And sometimes whenever we talk about tragedy, we talk about it in this detached way as if tragedies only touch other people. They don't really have anything to do with me. It's those other people that are affected. And we talk about it in such a way that we deal with it and then we go on with our lives. And we don't think a whole lot more about it afterwards. It's just another event in the news. And we act like tragedies never touch us. We become detached from it. And if we're not careful, whenever we're talking about tragedies, we'll just kind of boil it down to a couple of questions. What happened and who's to blame? We've seen that with COVID-19. Well, what happened? Who's to blame? We do that in other situations because we like to play that old blame game that there has to be someone to blame and that lets me off the hook and I don't have to think about my personal exposure to tragedy because tragedies happen to those people and we can find someone to blame for the tragedy and then we can just go on with our lives. If you ever watched a news program and they're interviewing victims of a tragedy and you'll hear people make statements like this, you know, I never dreamed this would happen. This happens to other people but I never dreamed it would happen to me. I never dreamed it would happen to my family. That, that's the habit that we have of thinking tragedy only touches other people and we can be detached from it. And we start playing that blame game. We want to know who's to blame. I mean, there's a good time to investigate things that happen so that we can hopefully prevent them from happening again. But often, often we blame the victims. Well, you know, that, that guy that... got pancreatic cancer, well, maybe he should have just taken better care of himself. Should have eaten healthier. Should have taken these supplements, and that would have never have happened to him. Well, that young lady that can't have a baby, well, maybe it's because she was promiscuous in college. Maybe, maybe, Maybe that's what it is. And we sometimes want to lay blame because there again, I think it lets us off the hook. I don't have to deal with the reality that tragedy could happen to me too. No, it only happens to those people. In fact, this sinister form of the blame game says disaster happens to those who deserve it. Disaster happens to those kind of people, other people, and it happens to those who deserve it. And all the while, there is a greater tragedy that faces every single one of us. It is a tragedy that is inevitable, but it's also avoidable. And Jesus wants to teach us to look beyond the everyday tragedies of our lives and see that there is an ultimate tragedy that we are all exposed to. This tragedy is inevitable if we don't deal with it, but it's also avoidable that you can save yourself from some misery And what I'm going to share today, I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to say, okay, I'm familiar with this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you may say, this seems kind of harsh to hear. And if it came from just a preacher like me, then I would say, yeah, you're right, and it's just my opinion. But I want to take you to what Jesus had to say about tragedies. Because I trust what Jesus has to say. I don't always trust preachers, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't always trust religious people, I don't always trust politicians, I don't always trust what I read on the internet. or what my neighbor says about some tragedy, but I've learned that you can trust Jesus. Do you know anything about Jesus that would make you think he would ever lie to you or not be fully honest with you? Do you know anything about Jesus that would convince you that he doesn't say what he says out of a heart of love and concern? Well, that's what I want us to do today. I want us to hear what Jesus has to say about the tragedies of life because Jesus talks about tragedies too. But Jesus talks about the tragedies of life in order to teach us about the priority of life. Jesus talks to us about the tragedies of life in order to teach us about the one priority of life. And if you don't get this priority right, it doesn't matter what else you get right in your life. So what I want to do today is take you to a New Testament gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter 13. I'm going to put the scriptures on the screen for you. But as we look at Luke chapter 13, we get to listen in on a conversation that other people are having with Jesus and then Jesus has with them about a couple of tragedies in their day that were the topic of hot debate. So here in Luke chapter 13, we're going to hear what Jesus has to say about tragedies and about the priority of my life and yours. Because there is some important lessons for us to learn. First of all, let's read Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him, that's Jesus, who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. Let's just stop there. This was a tragedy that was being discussed in Jesus' day. We don't know the exact circumstances of this event where Pilate, the Roman governor of the region in Jerusalem, actually slaughtered Jewish worshipers as they were at the temple offering their sacrifices to God. In fact, we don't know the exact details, but historians, both Christian and secular historians, tell us that this is not uncommon when it comes to Pilate. Pilate was cruel. Pilate was calloused. Pilate did not hesitate at times to kill people if it meant keeping him and Rome in power. And so as the Roman governor over this region, evidently there was this time that there are Christian or Jewish people worshiping at the Jewish temple. They're offering their sacrifices. Soldiers come in and they kill some of these worshipers, probably to set an example For all the other Jews, this is what happens if we suspect in Rome that you are up to something we don't agree with or we don't like. So people are talking about this and they want to bring Jesus into this conversation. They want to bring him into the water cooler talk about this tragedy that was being discussed. And Jesus knew that there was this sinister idea behind their discussion about what had happened to those other people. The The impression Jesus knew in their heart was, those other people sacrificed at a time of worship. They must have done something bad to deserve it. They must be at fault. In verse 2, And he, Jesus, answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? He could read their minds. He knew what they were thinking. Do you really think that the reason that bad tragedy happened to them is because they were worse sinners than the other sinners in Galilee? Do you think that disasters only happen to people who deserve it? Do you think that lets you off the hook of having to think about what would happen to you if a tragedy occurred in your life? And Jesus is emphatic in verse 3. No, absolutely not. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says, I've got news for you. You're all sinners. And it's not that they were worse sinners than other sinners in Galilee. No, that is not true. In fact, tragedies can happen to all kinds of people, and tragedies do happen to all kinds of people. That same fire that ravages a part of a city burns down not only good people's buildings and homes, but even bad people. It happens to all kinds of people. And while Jesus is talking to them about what they want to talk about, he says, hey, I'll give you another example of a tragedy. You ask me about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled at the time of sacrifice? Look at verse 4. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? There again, we don't know all the details, but evidently one of the towers on the wall around Jerusalem near the pool of Siloam had collapsed. And when it collapsed, it killed 18 people under the rubble. And Jesus says, you ask me about Galileans being murdered? Well, I'll give you one. What about that tower that killed 18 people? Do you think they were worse sinners than everybody else in Jerusalem? That this happened to them? And again, he's emphatic. Verse five, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says the tragedies of life are a fact of life. They happen to all kinds of people under all kinds of circumstances. We see all kinds of natural disasters that create tragedies in our lives. The fires, the the floods, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, the tornadoes, the earthquakes. Natural disasters that bring tragedy. We, we see tragedies because of what I call human depravity. Pilate is an example of that. that, that people often make evil choices that hurt other people in tragic ways. Pilate is an example. A drunk driver is an example. An abusive preacher or priest or family member is an example. Crooked politicians taking advantage of people are examples People who harbor racism in their heart are examples of tragedies that often occur because of the evil in human hearts. And then, of course, human deficiency. Sometimes it's not that anyone did anything wrong. It's just we live in a broken world and what we create is not perfect. That's why towers will sometimes fall. That's why planes will sometimes fall out of the sky. That's why sometimes your brand new car gets Recalled back to the manufacturer because of some problem that you've got to have corrected now. Because we're not perfect and what we create is not perfect and often our imperfection leads to tragedies. And Jesus is saying, I want to disabuse you of this notion that disasters only happen to those who deserve it. In fact, Jesus is saying, I need you to understand there is a greater tragedy than any tragedy you can talk about that is going to fall on all people unless they get Right with God. Jesus says the greatest tragedy is not to die. The greatest tragedy is to die without being right with God. That's why he says, do you think they were worse sinners? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, unless you turn from your sin and turn back to God, you too will perish. You're going to die one day. And whenever you die, you're going to be eternally separated from God because of your sin. The tragedy of all tragedies is not that you die. The tragedy of all tragedies is to die without being right with God. And that's why Jesus is calling them to repent. That word repent that he uses twice there means to have a change of mind that leads to a change in action. It's often been referred to as a 180 degree turn. I'm not living for God. I am not loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I don't love my neighbor like I love myself. And to repent of my sinful ways means I turn away from my sin and I turn to Jesus as my savior to forgive me because I'm never going to do these things perfectly. I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God. I miss the mark, the standard that God has for me. I'm not perfect, neither are you, by the way. And to repent of our sin means we turn away from trying to live our way and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I stake my eternal destiny on you. You're the only hope I have. You're the only one who can rescue me. And Jesus says, unless you repent, turn from your sin and turn to me, you'll likewise perish. But the tragedy of your life won't be that you died. The tragedy of your life will be that you died without being right with God. And there again, I know this is very uh, unpopular in our pluralistic society. I know it's not politically correct, but I'm not saying this. This is what Jesus is saying. And sometimes we read Jesus' word and unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And and we think he's red-faced and he's screaming and he's pointing his finger in judgment and condemnation. But that's not the picture of Jesus I have when he says this. Jesus is not being callous to human suffering and tragedy when he says this. Jesus is filled with compassion and love when he says this. I think he's saying with a catch in his throat, maybe a tear in his eye, listen, tragedies happen, but if you don't get right with God, the greatest tragedy is you're going to perish in your sin. And this is not a new message for Jesus. If you read the Gospels, this is a recurring message of Jesus. I wrote it in my notes. Do you remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about that that parable of the rich man who has all these great harvest. He's a farmer and he's got so much harvest, he doesn't have big enough barns to store it. I mean, he is just rich beyond his imagination. He says, what am I going to do? He says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build even bigger barns. And then when I've got everything set and secure, I'm going to retire. I'm going to say to my soul, soul, take it easy. Drink, eat, and have a party. And then God says to him, you fool, don't you know this very night your soul is going to be required of you? And then who's going to get all this stuff? And Jesus says, that's exactly what it's like to be rich in the things of this world and be bankrupt in your relationship with God. That's why Jesus would ask the question, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? I conducted a funeral here yesterday for one of our senior adult church members. He's not been able to attend our church for many years because of uh, dementia But we shared John 3, 16, we shared the 23rd Psalm, we shared John 14, verse six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because I wanted, and the family wanted me to make sure that I shared the gospel. And then after the service was over and I thought we were done, the daughter stood up right here at the front. She said, hey, before everyone leaves, I want you to make sure you heard this today. If you've never personally trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Be ready to meet God. And I thought then, this is the spirit in which Jesus was saying this to this crowd. Not condemnation, but compassion. And it's the same spirit in which I'm saying it to you, friend. You need Jesus in your life. You need to turn from your sin and believe in him. This is a tragedy that awaits you to die without God. But it's a tragedy that is wholly avoidable if you will come to Jesus. How many of you are part of our church. And you know, my favorite verse of scripture, I kind of weave it in almost every sermon. What is it? What is it? John three sixteen. Yep. And what did Jesus say in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world. That means he loves you, loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whoever believes in him, that is whoever trusts in him, whoever puts their confidence in him, whoever believes in him should not perish. But instead, they'll have everlasting life. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Not just die, but die and be eternally separated from God. That is the tragedy of all tragedies. But God sent his son so that you don't have to face that tragedy, so that you can know no matter what happens to me in life, no matter what happens at my death, no matter if I die in a tragic way or if I die as an old person in my sleep peacefully, which is... My choice, by the way, that's what I'm asking the Lord for. Uh, No matter, it doesn't matter because I'm right with God. And the priority of life is to get right with God so that when you die, you're ready. You say, come on, Ricky, this is a little morbid, you know, talking about death on a Sunday morning. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but people are dying who've never died before. It's amazing. It's It's a pandemic of death. One out of one people die. And so I've always said, I will never use this kind of a topic as a fear tactic or a manipulative tactic, but I will not shy away from warning people about the coming reality that one day it is appointed unto all of us to die, according to the book of Hebrews. And after we die, we stand before God. And I want you to be ready And the only way to be ready to stand before a righteous and perfect and holy God who is also a loving and gracious and merciful God is to trust in his son, Jesus, who gave himself for each one of us. Jesus ended his sermon that day, his talk about tragedy in a strange way. Look again at Luke chapter 13, verse 6. And he told this parable. Now, a parable is just a story that has a deeper meaning it's got a spiritual truth to it. So in Luke chapter 13, verse 6, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Verse 7. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Verse eight, and he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Verse nine, and if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And that's how the story Jesus told ended. You say, wait a minute, it's a cliffhanger. What happened? I mean, so after that, Next year of grace, did did the owner of the vineyard come back and find that tree bearing great fruit? Or was it still barren and did it get cut down? And that's the question, isn't it? That's the point of Jesus' parable that he wanted his first hearers to wrestle with and he wants you to wrestle with God is looking for the fruit of repentance in your life where you are trusting Jesus as your Savior. And he's given you this day of grace. He's given you this new opportunity to get right with God and to bear the fruit of repentance by turning from your sin and believing in Jesus. Will he find that fruit in your life? The reason the parable is left open-ended is because Jesus says, I'm gonna put the pen in your hand. You get to write the ending of your story. You get to write the ending of your story. And my prayer is, and Jesus' prayer is, that you would say, and I turn from my sin, and I put my confidence in one person, Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. He's the only one that lived a perfect life. He's the only one that died for me on the cross to take my punishment for all the wrong I've ever done or ever will do. He alone is the one who rose from the dead, victorious over death and sin and the grave. And I'm just gonna stake my life on him. I'm gonna stake my eternal destiny in him. I'm gonna do what he said to do. I'm gonna turn from my sin and believe in Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And when God looks at you, he'll see that fruit of repentance. But if the story is, I turned away from Jesus, I didn't want Jesus, I said no to Jesus, or I put it off, you're facing the great tragedy the tragedy of dying without being right with God. When I summarize Jesus' parable, I sometimes will tell people, I think what Jesus is saying in this parable is, it is never too soon to repent, but it will soon be too late. It's never too soon to repent but it will soon be too late for all of us. None of us know when we're going to face God. None of us know when we're going to die. But what we can do is be right with God now so we can be ready. And that's the application today. Will you turn from your sin and put your confidence in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you've never done that, today should be the day for you to do it. In fact, I'm gonna lead us in the word of prayer. And if today you wanna to make that commitment to Jesus, you could talk to God where you are. You can talk to God from your living room or if you're watching this on your phone, you can talk to God right now and get right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Dear God, thank you for this reminder from Jesus that the priority of life is to be right with you so that when we die, we're ready to meet you. And you have told us to put our faith in Jesus, your son. You sent him into this world and he came willingly to show us how much you love us, to live a perfect life in place of our sinful lives. And he gave his life as a sacrifice and a substitution for us. He said, let me take the punishment you deserve and I'll give you credit for my righteous life. I'll give you eternal life where sin gives you nothing but death in separation. But you've got to repent of your sin and believe in me. And so God, today I pray that if there's someone today that needs Jesus, wherever they are, that they would talk to you and say this, dear God, that's right, for him pray in your heart, he'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you, I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I've not loved you like I should. I've not always loved others like I should. But I thank you for loving me, even though I don't deserve it. And you love me so much, you sent your son Jesus into this world who exchanged his perfect life for my sinful life. I thank you that he died for me on the cross. I thank you that he rose from the dead on that third day. And because he can do that, he can hear me today when I pray. And today I pray, Jesus, forgive me. I put my trust in you. And I take you at your word where you said, if I will only believe in you, I will not perish in my sin, but I will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Today, Jesus, save me from the penalty of my sin. And today I receive you, your forgiveness and your eternal life. While your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to let someone know that today you've committed your life to Christ. Maybe you'll go to our website today, fcbc.life forward slash connect. And on that Let's Connect card, there's a little place where it says, today I committed my life to Christ. Let me know that. I wanna rejoice with you and I'd love to send you a free book, no obligation. We're not gonna badger you with spam and phone calls, but I'd love to send you a free book that helps you now grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That'd be my honor to send that to you free of charge, no strings attached. But let us know how we can help you. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives today as we trust Jesus as our Lord and our Savior.